From Ottawa, Ontario, welcome to episode four of a Women's World Cup Home Companion. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com at a lovely establishment across the street from Lansdowne Stadium, where on Friday night the United States will play China in the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. You will hear some background noise, and in the spirit uh, of Canadian soccer and in, uh, out of sympathy with our friends Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie, we are recording this show in the middle of a Canadian Football League game because they have such the habit of disrupting soccer affairs in this fine country. My guest tonight is Caitlin Murray of The Guardian, among many other websites. Her Twitter handle is Caitlin Murr, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-M-U-R-R. Mine, of course, is the goalkeeper. You can follow both of us as we make our way through this Women's World Cup. We're going to talk about each of the quarterfinal matchups in order, just like we did with the round of 16. And that means we begin on Friday in Montreal with a game that nobody wanted to happen, but everybody wants to watch. Between France and Germany, the number three and number one teams in the world, it could and perhaps should be the final. We have hashed it out before on this show and many times previously as to why these teams ended up being drawn against each other in the quarters. For now, Caitlin, all we can do is look ahead to what should be a tremendous game. Yeah, this is the one everyone has marked on their calendars. This is the big one. Uh, These are two teams that you could have pictured being in the final together. They both have that caliber of play. Uh, You know, Germany has been looking really good, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do because they have had a softer group. France is going to be a serious challenge for them as long as the uh, the good version of France shows up. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, definitely the best match up until this point. One of the questions that I have about Germany, and I hope I'm not alone, is how much do we really know about them? We know a lot, obviously, because they've played very well on the whole. But the one game where they got really tested by Norway, they were held to a draw. Sweden's defense was awful. And I'm not, not that France's defense is great, nor that they will play a defensive-oriented style. But really, how much do we know about Germany at this point? I think that uh, we don't know as much as we would like to. I mean... You look at a 10-0 result against Ivory Coast, and that looks really good. You think, this is a team that is playing really well, but, I mean, how much of a challenge is Ivory Coast? So, um, I think looking at the results up to this point, yeah, I mean, Sweden was a huge disappointment. I think they were, you know, they came in as the number five ranked team in the world. I uh, embarrassed myself by picking them to potentially win the World Cup, and they just, they looked out of sorts. Um, so I, I think that uh, this is going to be a big match that will determine. I think, you know, whoever wins this match probably goes to the final. So if Germany wins, uh, then I think it validates, you know, our, our perception that they are the best team in this tournament. Can France do what it wants to do creatively in this game? I think that really comes down to France more than it comes down to Germany. Um, you know, you look at France losing 2-0 to zero against Colombia. I secretly was hoping that they threw that match to avoid facing Germany. They didn't do that because they still won their group. They're still facing Germany. Um, 
So I think it comes down to France. Which version of France is going to show up? They've been very inconsistent in this tournament. If they play with the confidence and you know the game plan uh, that we've seen them execute before, then I think that could be a real challenge. If it's the France that shows up against Colombia, it's going to be another big win for Germany. You mentioned you think the winner of that game is going to the final. Uh, I'm going to tell the bus driver that drove over the United States that there's something under his vehicle, um, which is not to say that I think that the U.S. will beat France or Germany, but I'm not willing to rule them out yet if they beat China. And I'm not so sure that that's a given. It is no secret that this U.S. team is not playing well. It is no secret that China will sit back probably and bunker against them. So as we get ready for 7.30 Friday night, here at Lansdowne Stadium or Frank Clare Stadium or TD Play Stadium or whatever you want to call it. With Megan Rapino out, with Lauren Holiday out, with Heather O'Reilly so many pages down Jill Ellis's depth chart that I'm not even sure where to look in the book. How does the U.S. win this game? Well, you and I spoke about this a little earlier. I think we have a disagreement about the game plan because you think... Correct me if I'm wrong. You think Abby Wambach might start? I think I, I think that, yes. That's one way of putting it. I think China's a very defensive team. They play really compact. They bunker in. I think that Jill Ellis may, uh, you know, divert away from the direct long balls to Abby and may go for a game plan that will involve, you know, a player like Amy Rodriguez. Uh, you know, Alex Morgan, forwards that can create more space, um, do more than just kind of park in the box and wait for a long ball. And um, I, I think we could see better movement along the width than, uh, than we've seen in other games. I know that Heather O'Reilly, you know, where is she? We don't know. I think if there's going to be a game where we're going to see Heather O'Reilly, I think this is the game. The fans behind you were not, unfortunately, cheering for your mention of Heather O'Reilly. They were cheering because the Ottawa Red Blacks scored a touchdown against the Montreal Alouettes. I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to read a couple lines from my story that's in Friday's editions of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News. Jill Ellis said Wombach's minutes so far have been, quote, probably right on, end quote, where the coach expected them to be. Quote, I think she'd be ready to go for 90 minutes if asked, end quote, Ellis added. I was in that press conference with you. I saw her say those things. I So we have very different perceptions about what she was saying. I think, you know, she was asked directly about Abby. And I think, uh, as she always kind of, kind of says, she'll be ready to play if needed. I kind of got the sense that Abby's not going to start. Uh, I'm totally willing to be wrong. I mean, at this point, I have been totally wrong about... Uh, Sweden in my bracket, so I'm willing to be wrong again. I think, um, you know, just with how compact China is, it might be a good strategy to do something different, work the flanks a little more. I'm going to read two more quotes that I ran in my story, and you you heard them too also because you were there. One is from Jill Ellis, who I asked directly and pretty bluntly, her having said that she was satisfied or pleased was the word that she used 
on Thursday in her press conference with the fact that the United States beat Colombia the heck with how they did it. I said, well, Abby Wambach and Carly Lloyd both said pretty bluntly since then that they know that this team is not playing at its best. To which Ellis said, it's not a matter of being satisfied. And then she later said, certainly we're capable of a lot more. And I think that's the expectation on ourselves. I'll put that in the context of something that Alex Morgan said a few minutes after Ellis talked. I think that we're seeing moments of greatness, but we're just not seeing 90 minutes of that. We saw a little bit of impatience in the last game, and then we settled in the second half and got into a rhythm. We need that a little sooner. A whole lot of us, whether in the media or the fan base, have been crying out for this team to go to a 4-3-3, play more possession, and finally free Carly Lloyd to do all the things she's good at. It sounds to me, both from Lloyd's comments of the last couple days and from Morgan's comments of preaching more patience, that it sure would make a lot of sense, but I still can't see Ellis doing it. No, and I think uh, not at this last game, but I think it was in Vancouver. You know, the team wasn't looking good, and someone asked Jill Ellis about it, and she said, look, we're not going to change the style now. She's very committed to the 4-4-2 and the game plan that they have. It's not going to change. I think what is really interesting is, in addition to those comments, you had Becky Sauerbrunn, and Carly Lloyd both saying uh, when asked about how to improve their performance, they said, look, we are doing what the coaching staff has asked us to do. And so I think it comes down to tactics. And there is an open question. Is this team using the right tactics? Because individually, you look at the roster, uh, this is a very talented team. It's relied on some, I think, individual brilliance to do well. You look at Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan. Uh, these are individual players stepping up. Uh, tactically, is the 4-4-2 working? You know, I don't think so. I mean, Jill will say it's not a it's not a lineup. It's just an arrangement of players, and it's not really a formation, and that's fine. But uh, I don't think they're getting the sort of width that they need or creating the spaces they need. Um, and I think it's going to be more of the same. I don't think it's going to change. Before we get into the Saturday games, Caitlin, let's run down the TV listings for the Friday games for the listeners. Uh, first up, as we said earlier, 4 o'clock at Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Germany and France. Fox over the air in the U.S., in Canada on cable, TSN 1, 3, 4, and 5, as well as RDS in French. Obviously, a lot of folks up here can get the Fox over-the-air broadcast in their hotels on cable systems and so forth. And uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio down in the States as well. Friday night, 7.30 Eastern Time, China and the U.S., Fox over-the-air. NBC Universo in Spanish on cable in the U.S. In Canada, CTV and TSN2 in English, RDS in French, and of course for the folks back home on the radio, Sirius XM FC 94. Now to Saturday. Both games in the U.S. on Saturday are on Fox Sports 1. Beginning at 4 o'clock at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, uh, which, Caitlin, you and I have gotten to know a little bit well, perhaps too well over the last few days. Uh, Australia and Japan, a fascinating matchup for a lot of people. And yes, Germany, France, and U.S., China are getting a lot of the headlines, but the savants and the people who know the women's game have all circled Australia, Japan for one big reason. 
as well as Japan has played, and they have played some spectacular soccer. They scored one of the best goals you will ever see, that team build-up goal against the Netherlands. There's a very real possibility that Australia is going to come out and punch them in the mouth. And there's a very real possibility that Australia's players like Sam Kerr and Lisa Devanna have just a little bit more savvy than the Dutch players who were in the Women's World Cup for the first time. I don't want to say it was nerves because I don't know if that's a fair criticism. The Dutch had their chances and missed them. The Australians are going to have their chances, and I'm not so sure they're going to miss them. I think they're going to make a few. Yeah, I think there's no question that Australia is rising to the occasion. This is a team that is playing with a lot of confidence. I mean, they've always had a really strong roster. They have a player like Lisa Devanna who's so fast. Samantha Kerr, we've gotten to know her in NWSL, and she's been playing really impressive soccer, even if she hasn't been necessarily getting the goals. She's setting up her teammates in a lot of ways. Uh, So this is a team that has a lot of talent. Uh, They haven't played with the level of confidence we're seeing from them now. And I think, you know, you can attribute some of that to their new coach, Alan Stasek, however you Stagic, I think is how it's pronounced. I'm not sure I... Uh, And I, I think that this is a team where we don't know how far they can go. I think that, you know, the secret is kind of out on Japan. No one expected them in 2011 to win it. Now we know how good this Japan team is. Um... But I think that, you know, Australia's just playing really good soccer, and they're playing very aggressive, fast soccer. Could that be a little too much for Japan to handle? I mean, I I think it's a possibility. I think it'll be really interesting to see these two sides because Japan plays such patient, conservative soccer, and I think Australia's a little bit the opposite. They're very quick. They use their speed a lot. Um... You know, this is a match where I think in any World Cup you want something special to happen. You want those special moments. This could be the game where we see that happen with Australia. Oh, I agree with that. I will say, look, Japan's the favorite. I think that's clear. I think they're playing, honestly, even better than a lot of us thought they would in this tournament. And and perhaps that perception was fueled by Homari Sawa being much older now uh, than she was four years ago. But... Japan is still the favorite. They're playing incredible soccer, and uh, they could well go right back to the final again this year. Yeah, I think there was a perception that maybe this is an aging team, and they haven't changed enough since 2011. It's four years later, but this is a really complete team. They're not a team that needs to rely on one player, on one Homari Sawa. They're a team that... You know, they kind of look good all all over the field, and they work collectively as a union, where where I think some of the criticism of the U.S. uh, comes to relying on individual brilliance. I think Japan is very much a different team in that it works as a unit. There's a lot of cohesion, and I think that definitely makes them a difficult team. It's not as simple as marking one player on their team. They're threatening all over the field, so... I mean, that makes this one a really uh, a difficult match, I think, to predict, but that is why it's so exciting. That game, as we said, 4 o'clock Eastern time, Fox Sports 1, Telemundo over the air in the States, CTV, RDS, and, of course, SiriusXM, SiriusXM with all the games uh, of the tournament on its various channels. And those of you who know, of course, since you're tuning in on the Soccer Morning feed, you know that I've been on the show as has 
Jeff Kasouf, one of our regular contributors and a good friend of ours up here uh, from NBC Sports. He and I have been on quite a bit, both the web show that goes out on this podcast feed and the SiriusXM show at 11 a.m. Eastern Time every weekday. 7.30 Saturday night to close out the quarterfinals with some probably another 54,000-plus crowd on hand at BC Place in Vancouver. On Fox Sports 1, NBC Universo, CTV, RTS, and Sirius XM. It will be England and Canada. By my math, it's the third time they've met this year. England won at the Cyprus Cup, and then Canada won the friendly right before the World Cup in Hamilton. They've certainly played each other a couple of times uh, of late. I've seen some odds out there, I guess is the right way to put it, casting England as the favorite. I don't know why. Whether or not Canada's the better team, you know they're going to be charged up playing in front of 54,000 people in BC Place. They haven't had to leave uh, Vancouver um, as they played there in the uh, round of 16. England played its round of 16 in a game in Ottawa. All the advantage, I think, is with the Canadians. Now all they've got to do is stand up to the pressure and expectations. I wrote in my notebook a couple days ago on my blog that I think that the Canadians need to get ready to deal with the fact that their team is going to the final. And I phrase that very intentionally because we know that John Herdman has managed expectations and we know that their fan base is one of the best in the world at downplaying and getting nervous when they start to realize that they might win things. I'm sure saying that won't win me any friends, but they're all listening and following me on Twitter anyway. They know where to find me. Caitlin, how's this game going to play out? I think it's going to be Maybe not pretty, but it's going to be pretty raucous. I agree with you. I think that more is working in Canada's favor. I think the wind is kind of at their back. Uh, It is a difficult match, though, because these are two teams that I don't think either of them have necessarily been impressive. They've found a way to get the results that they need. Uh, But I, I don't think that either of them are really imposing themselves on their opponents. Um... They're not, uh, you know, they're not winning games in a way that makes you think they can do this against anyone. It's kind of just scraping by. Uh, I do think that there's the advantage of staying in Vancouver. There's going to be a really big crowd. At the same time, I don't know if Canada has risen to the level of those expectations. You know, in Canada, you can't talk about their journey to this World Cup without talking about the 2012 Olympics. And what was different about that? No one had any expectations for Canada at all. They went out first or in last place in the 2011 World Cup. And, I mean, there's a coaching change to talk about, but I think the expectations being low, being the underdog, kind of helped them. Now they're in a very unfamiliar position where people are expecting them to win. And I just don't know that they have coped with that very well up until this point. Let me me ask this along that line. Both of both the you know and and we talk about the U.S. and Canada most on this show for two reasons: one, the host nation; two, well, we're American. We follow the Canadian team a lot. We've got a lot of Canadian listeners, and everybody talks about them, you know, because because they're familiar to us. Both teams have been criticized, as you said, 
for sort of doing the minimum offensively at times. I think we know that the U.S. has a much higher ceiling in terms of creativity, talent, things like that, players who haven't played, so on and so forth. We've dashed all that out. I'm not sure that we know whether Canada has a higher level that is so much higher than how they've been playing in terms of skill and creativity. And if you listen to the people who follow this team really closely, really closely on a regular basis, not just um, the soccer columnists in the newspapers, never mind the general columnists in the newspapers, but the real diehards, they will tell you that there's a reason why the expectation was the quarterfinals. And they will tell you that they're going to get a bump from playing at home, but they're not, they're not maybe that good. They've got some young players coming up like Kadishi Buchanan and Jesse Fleming, but certainly without Diana Matheson, that really high level that we want to see the U.S. get to, Canada might not have. Yeah, I think if you look player for player, this is not a top team. And I think even they would say that. I spoke to Kaylin Kyle for a preview I did for The Guardian, and she said, player for player, we're not the best team in the world. I think what they have been banking on is a level of cohesion and uh, being able to play together and work off of each other that other teams, you know, you look at, you know, the U.S. is looking a little disjointed. I think Canada came into this tournament thinking that uh, their closeness and uh, their ability to work together would compensate for not having a super deep roster. I don't know if we've seen that. You know, Christine Sinclair has not been a significant part of this team in this tournament, and they don't have a lot to show for it. I think you need a player like Christine Sinclair to carry a team. You know, she, she is trying, but especially with Diana Matheson out. Um, Sinclair has to drop deep into midfield. And until Jose Belanger hit the jackpot in the round of 16 against Switzerland, they were looking for somebody to step up and fill that hole at striker that Sinclair had been in, and they couldn't do it. Uh, Yeah, I think that Sinclair is not able to just focus on scoring goals. She's in the middle, winning balls, distributing. She can't do everything, tracking back on defense. They need other players to step up, and I think there were high hopes for Sophie Schmidt, and she has looked good at times, but they need more of that from every player. And that 2012 Olympics, they talk about so much. That is their metric that says we are capable of more. We're capable of winning a World Cup, but who was the star of that 2012 Olympics? It was Christine Sinclair. She was scoring a lot of goals, and that hasn't been the case in this tournament. She's had to fill some other holes and hasn't been able to focus on just being that goal scorer. And they had Matheson in that tournament, which is you know, obviously her goal that won the bronze medal. So we've hit all four games. I have a U.S.-Germany semifinal. What do you have? Ooh, I, didn't, um, I didn't want to speak for you, just in case. I, I think that's... I mean, I don't see the U.S. losing to China. And, you know, I do think that Germany is just too strong. We spoke a little bit about have they been tested enough. I think whether or not they have been, they're just... They're too good. So I, I agree. I think we're going to see U.S.-Germany. And, you know, we'll talk about that one when it comes around. But that's going to be another good one. Well, well let, me ask, let me ask this. 
if the U.S. wins, and I, I honestly think that China could take the U.S. to extra time or penalties, if the U.S. wins, would it be more in their interest to play Germany because it might be more of a power game than a skill and flair game than it would be against France? I don't, you know, I don't think that the U.S. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to adjust any of their tactics based on their opponent. I think we've seen from them that they kind of they have their game plan and they play it no matter what. I think people have suggested maybe a four-three-three would work. Maybe the team should be using the flanks a little more. They maybe they haven't really been doing that. I think this game will be interesting to me because I think. You know, with how defensive China is, and they're not really much of an attacking threat. They're more of a defensive team. I think if the U.S. responds in the way that they should, which is, you know, work the ball laterally, work it uh, through instead of just kind of kicking it to the other end, which isn't going to work against a bunkering team, I think if we see them adjust their tactics against China, knowing that this is the kind of team they are, I think that bodes well. It's a good sign. If it's kind of the same thing we've been seeing in these other games, even if they do win, uh, I, I don't know if that bodes well for them making it to the final. Coming down the other side, I have Canada and Japan advancing to the second semifinal, which is in Edmonton on July 1st. And do not overlook the fact that July 1st is Canada Day, and that crowd in Edmonton will be really amped up because of it. And... Well, the players. And that's part of why I have Canada in the final. I think it will be a great test for them against Japan. Certainly, if uh, if we get to Montreal, you and I, and uh, there's a chance for us to do another show out there, uh, we'll talk more in depth about the semifinals. But I have Canada and Japan advancing. What about you? I think I agree that I think Canada will find a way to do it. I think it won't be pretty, but they'll make it there. I don't think England has done enough. Uh, I think Japan probably will win, but I like to hope that something surprising will happen. So I'm going to say Australia's Cinderella run is not over. Wow. I think <laughs> I think we're going to see Australia-Canada, and it's, it's going to be amazing. On that amazing note, <laughs> I think we will wrap things up. Again, that's Caitlin Murray of The Guardian and many, many other outlets out there. Her Twitter handle is Caitlin Murr, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-M-U-R-R. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News. At The Goalkeeper is my Twitter handle. You can follow me there. Get, I'm going to do a pitch for my own website for a minute and get all of Philly.com's coverage of the World Cup, everything that I've been writing at Philly.com slash World Cup. And uh, we thank Trevor Hayward, the producer. And uh, if we get to Montreal for the semis, we will do another show, I hope. If the U.S. is knocked out, I probably go home, and we will yield the floor uh, to others, perhaps, uh, on Soccer Morning and elsewhere uh, to to deliver the postmortem. And with that said, we thank you for listening to Episode 4 of a Women's World Cup Home Companion.